The Athletic. Hello and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to Newcastle United podcast from The Athletic. Coming up on this week's show. Play quite well, create chances, lose 2-0. Is it last week again or maybe the week before? Bruno Gimaraes is the apple of everyone's eye, including the Northeast football journalists and possibly Florentino Perez. And Wolves next, but are they ravenous or toothless? Yes, hello, hello, this is Pod on the Tyne. I am Taylor Payne. I hope you're all well out there and I've got three lovely chaps with me this afternoon. George Corgan, nice to have you back, my friend. Thank you very much. It's very nice to be back. You doing all right? Yeah, doing okay. Obviously, been a funny time. Um, yeah, got a lot of family stuff to get through, but uh, but was at the football at the weekend and that was a nice, nice distraction. Lovely stuff. Chris Woff's here as well. Chris, how are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. I was wondering if the, in the... the introduction bit when you said are they ravenous or toothless are you referring to us three or is that uh definitely toothless if i told her i used to be i'd say yeah well i was, I was gonna say this it's not even a question is it it's just uh <laughs> it's nice to see you've had your annual haircut at the council depot chris as well lovely stuff yeah they didn't uh, manage to cut my ears this time so yeah the shears just 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 got the actual hair this on this occasion so going back to get it finished next week yeah lovely stuff uh and jacob's here as well jacob how are you doing I'm doing well, I'm doing well. I've managed to escape being embroiled in the Newcastle rental market for a couple of hours to record this, which means it's automatically the highlight of the day. Excellent. Well, a pleasure oh, before, have... no, before we move on, oh, go on Jacob, then. have you noticed that the Whitehead witchery, witchery sorry, has continued for another week? I've suggested my alternative. Um, my position is clear on this and I won't be making any further comment. <laughs> Right then, let's move on, chaps, before it gets a bit uh, a bit tasty. Uh, as I said, the football itself was uh, a bit like deja vu from the last few weeks, but it was also like deja vu from about a year ago for entirely different reasons, George, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so drove down to Man City with uh, with with Chris um, at the weekend, but also with AJ, my brother, um, who's over from America, which is a sort of very strange coincidence because we did exactly the same thing a year ago. This year. The reason for him being there was altogether much, much sadder. But, um, but yeah, we were we were together, and that was very special. And we recorded a bit of audio from the Etihad Stadium. So, AJ. I know this is unconventional. You're not, you know, uh, a podcast host or anything like that. But um, we've been talking a lot, obviously, about family and Gordon this week and stuff like that. Can you remember what your first Newcastle memory is? Well, it's uh, it's it's all very vague. Uh, obviously, was a very young boy the first time uh, our dad introduced me to Newcastle. But I do have a distinct memory of taking the metro into town and then walking up the hill and as you you make that walk 
St. James's Park just kind of taking over the landscape in front of you, coming into view, and just that emotional feeling as the crowd would be kind of pulsing as they cheered and all the songs that were being sang. My, my dad was a, he was very protective of us in a good way, so I can remember him you know, kind of holding me close and, you know, making sure I wasn't separated in the crowd and, and just even at a young age, just feeling that emotion of, of the, the whole city behind one team um, and coming together and just how the stadium sits on the hill there. So I can also remember him when, when, when match of the day would be on, you know, he's, he's a very, he was a very talkative guy. He was a very fun guy, but if match of the day was on, you, you were quiet and you were listening to match of the day. So there was no talking or asking questions during match of the day those kind of memories and how he introduced me and then over time uh standing in the Gallagher end when it used to be standing um kind of being on his shoulders and in his arms and just sh- sharing that with him so yeah it's a very emotional that's my you know that's my first experience at newcastle as well gordon taking me to see the team and i think think about 1978 and can't remember the game either but vividly remember standing outside the strawberry and him having a pint and me having orange squash and being surrounded by this sea of people and me reaching out to grab his hand and obviously wish we could do that now and uh, and we can't but that that sort of bond and that link and that memory it's it's very precious you're wearing Gordon's old scarf today that's that's lovely one of the weird coincidences is is that you were here for this game last season when we, we managed to get away tickets and so here we are back at back at Man City um, 5-0 defeat last year last season but we had an absolutely amazing day didn't we we did and uh, it's something I often tell you know like, like uh, George said I live in, in America but when I play because I recorded some of the atmosphere uh, at the end of the match we'd lost 5-0 but the away the sound of the array crowd um when I play that for people in the States, they can't believe that that's an away game. They think it's a home game for Newcastle, just how loud we were, how proud we were, and all the songs that were being sang. So, you know, it's, it's an amazing thing, just the, the away presence at these matches, even at that loss. And, you know, today here we are again, kind of the anniversary of it, and we're thinking, like, you know, it was 5-0 then, and obviously we hope for a win, but... You know, if, if we lose and, and it's not as bad as 5-0, it would still be a sign of progress. So it's it's kind of like, you know, uh, we've come a long way. There's a long way to go, and it just continues to be so positive. So it's, it's Yeah, and, I mean, I hesitate. I'm, I'm not going to say anything like, I, I hope we win for Gordon, because, I mean, I, I got my natural-born negativity about Newcastle from Gordon. So sort of remembering him saying that he would look at the list of fixtures saying, no, we'll lose that. We'll lose that one. We've lost that one. I, can, I know we'll lose that one. And he talked about coming out of St. James's every time the team had won with a look of surprise on his face. And I definitely, I definitely got that from him. So, but anyway, the point is we're here um, and we're here because of him and we're here because we love each other and we want to be part of it. And uh, anyway, we'll check in with you uh, a bit later this afternoon. Rodri with a switched ball to Foden, cutting in from the right, on his left foot, Phil Foden, this is trouble for Newcastle, still going Foden, what a goal, a brilliant run from Phil Foden, just took it on. Good ball by Gordon Almiron, Wilson edge of the area, can he hit it, looking for Longstaff, big chance for the equaliser, it's blocked, they've still got it alive in the penalty area, they go back out wide to Trippier, cross to the back stick, Joe Linton with a header, and now Manchester City can clear. 
Trippier gets his boot to the ball, Bernardo Silva deflected shot! Oh, you're joking! Manchester City against the run of play. Right wing to Bruno, 1-2. Murphy's got the chance to cross, no one in the middle though. It might come across though to Sam Maxima on the far side. He just Great ball. it. Another brilliant cross from the right, Murphy this time. And Walker had to take action and put it behind. Decisive action from the defender. Yeah, good defender. So I'm far from irritated by that, but I suppose if I have a sense of irritation, it is that there were chances. I mean, there was a chance in that yeah, game. Yeah. We had a chance and just didn't look like shooting, let alone scoring. And then at the other end, um, I thought we did okay, apart from City's goals. It's better than last year. What do you, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, three goals better than last year, so that's a that's a big improvement. So next next season we win 1-0 then? We won, yeah, I think so. I think that's what the pattern is. But, you know, when the three substitutes came on, there was a big spark, a big difference. And then, uh, you know, we, we had a good chance, I think, and uh, City was able to counter and get that goal. Uh, unfortunate, but much better than, than last year, and, and we're on the way up, you know, we're improving. So Yeah, I think it feels like we're a bit of a nearly team at the minute. It felt like that at the cup final, pretty similar to that. But anyway, really loved sharing it with you and so pleased that you're here for that. Um, yeah, and hopefully, you know, some, somewhere Gordon will be, will be nodding his head sagely and uh, I feel. Um, oh, absolutely. I think Dad would have expected this result and uh, no surprise there. So that, that's how it should be in a way. But uh, yeah. it was a wonderful time. I really appreciate the chance to come down here and see that. So what a treat for me. And uh, how are the lads? So, Newcastle uh, went to Manchester and they lost 2-0 to another team from Manchester, Chris. It wasn't a bad start, was it? Edison was a bit shaky early doors and even the goal that we give away from Foden, it was a bit unlucky, wasn't it, on the defensive side of things? But Newcastle started well but couldn't put the ball in the net. I mean, I was absolutely shocked with the result, to be honest with you, because, I mean, it's only 13 straight games before Saturday that Newcastle had lost at uh, going away to Manchester City. <laughs> they have now... In the last 31 league matches between the two teams, they've lost 25 of them. <laughs> Conceded an average of 2.7 per game. Chris, so, we've got them just where we want them. <laughs> we just loan them into a false sense of security before we strike back. Their, their away record at Man City is the worst by any Premier League team against one opponent in uh, since the Premier League started in 1992. So, Unbelievable. Yeah, it's it, it's the the strange thing was though compared to the previous year when they were blown away and it was five nil. It wasn't. It very much wasn't that sort of a game as as we said at the very start when you introduced it. It's almost like three matches deja vu in terms of Newcastle have played uh, an elite team. They've given a good account of themselves in large parts of the pitch. Uh, certainly in the middle third of the pitch, even creating openings rather than necessarily chances. But then they get in and around the box and they're wasteful. They had so many good openings, three in the first half, at least two in the second, and uh, and didn't take any of them, didn't even get shots away for three of those four openings. And then they were punished at the other end by sides who 
have that quality that maybe Newcastle are lacking now, where you just see the sort of maybe lack of depth that is there. And yeah, a very good account of themselves for large periods, but in the end they've lost 2-0 for the third weekend in a row, and that doesn't really give anyone too much optimism following that because it just feels like at the minute things just aren't going for Newcastle whereas they were early in the season and they were taking their chances right now it's very much the opposite I think for me though you're, you're playing against three very good football teams we have to remember that and I'm, I know you I know we're losing those games but it's not like we're going there George and get rolling over and having our bellies tickled are we we're actually going and and having a go with these teams we're not just sitting on the edge of our box and hoping we don't concede well no on the on the on the current rate of um improvement Newcastle go there next season and win 1-0 don't they 5-0 hang on is that right yeah, that's, that, that's how it works out yeah my maths aren't necessarily great 5-0 last season 2-0 <laughs> this season so 1-0 next season yeah that's that's foolproof that that has yeah. to be right yeah. I mean I thought I thought there was a lot that was very very good as Chris said you know in the middle of the pitch I thought Newcastle looked really well they caused City problems the frustration I mean so obviously I'm in the away end so the stuff happening in the first half was at the other end of the pitch but it just felt like Newcastle weren't shooting I was like screaming just shoot have a go and obviously didn't see until later, particularly that sort of Wilson chance where it's not that he didn't shoot, it's just that he didn't make contact with the ball. And that happened so many times. It was like really weird that there was just total lack of composure in that part of the pitch. And you can, and it is a problem. I mean, I think Newcastle are the lowest scorers in the Premier League with three goals this calendar year. And it's, it's yeah, what... They were very clinical earlier this season, and it's now the opposite. And um, but it's very difficult to be disheartened. And as you say, when you see, you know, City tearing towards you, and it's Grealish, and it's Foden who was excellent. Yeah, he was. And it's Haaland, and they've got, you know, they've just got such such good players. I thought Newcastle really acquitted themselves well. It is that same story of losing the big moments, but um, there's a lot to take heart from and. I think they will start putting those chances away. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. It was a decent response as well after going behind Jacob, wasn't it? And Newcastle seemed to be getting back into the game a little bit and getting a foothold, a couple of chances. There was a big one for Sean Longstaff where he kind of hesitates a little bit and doesn't have a goal straight away, allowing the defender to get back and, and block it. Um, but then Callum Wilson misses a sitter and Man City go up the other end a few minutes later and that's it. Bernardo Silva scores. Yeah, there's that Longstaff one. There's the golden air kick. Oh, God, I forgot about that, yeah. Where it really looks if he's in a decent amount of space. I don't want to go too shoulda, coulda, woulda because I'm just thinking back to the opening minute when City had that glorious chance for Gundogan, which is possibly shoulda scored and then City are 1-0 up after 57 seconds or something and it's you don't even get that first 15 minutes of optimism. Um... Yeah, there's some nice stuff in between the boxes. I'm still not sure if any of the chances apart from Wilson's were ones where you'd say, that's a should have scored. 
but 1-0, I know, maybe they could have held on and done an Everton and managed to draw 1-0 at the Etihad, but we'll never know. Yes, got to bring your beloved Everton into it, haven't you? <laughs> yes, and they tried to force the issue, Chris, didn't they, in the second half with some attacking reinforcements. Obviously, Alison Maximin came on, Alexander Izak came into the game, and there was some good balls put into the box. There was space in there, people were getting on the end of crosses, but it just again, it just wasn't falling for them, was it? Yeah, it was in the 63rd minute and Howe made a triple attacking sub, which for him has is, is been a rarity, and I think part of the reason behind that is he hasn't had a fit enough squad to be able to do that. The, he, part of the game plan was to try, they wanted to, they went to City, Man City early on, they tried to win the ball high, they just didn't turn those high turnovers really into chances. Then they can't, you can't do that all match, so then they sat back a little bit more, tried to play through the middle, and they stayed in the game, and by the 63rd minute they were, and he brought on, and for five minute period, when those three players came on, Newcastle really put the frighteners at Man City, and within the Etihad, he had, you could feel the tension among the home fans, and you could also, Guardiola was getting very frustrated. He went and sat on the drinks bucket type thing. Bielsa kind of thing, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Sam Lee, our Man City reporter, said he's never seen him do that before, so that showed how frustrated he was in that moment, and... That, that showed that when Newcastle do have a fully fit 14 or 15 players, that they can really bring attacking talent off the bench and make sure they can go all the way through, but they don't have the depth to go beyond that. And so when they have one or two injuries, they don't can't really change it from the bench. The frustrating thing was that after that five minutes where they could and probably should have scored the chance for Joe Linton when Joe Willock put it across the box, a cup, Isak completely did. Uh, I think it was a Kanji and he crossed to the back post for Sam Maxman to head across. Newcastle didn't grasp that and then Man City bring on Bernardo Silva and within two minutes or whatever he scores and that basically killed the game as a contest and that's what the very top teams do and that's what Newcastle are trying to aspire towards but I I was encouraged by that, I was encouraged by the the way that Newcastle did try and still go for the game in the second half and didn't just settle for where they were, the frustrating thing was that once the second goal went in, I think there was just a realisation that really that had taken all the steam out of Newcastle. Yeah, absolutely. And George, it's uh, one player I did want to mention as well, who I thought had a decent game under the circumstances, was uh, Jamal Lascelles. Obviously, he hasn't played an awful lot of football this season. He came in and, and you know, he, he handled Erling Haaland pretty well, didn't he? He looked strong and he was up for the fight. And like Haaland, it's like having the Predator up front for you, having Haaland on the pitch. So I thought Jamal Lascelles acquitted himself well. Yeah, I mean, it's, it was kind of interesting watching, watching Haaland like that, sort of tearing towards uh, Newcastle's goal in the first half. But I didn't, you know, I don't actually think he did very much. But he just looks. It's the movement you can see. His movement in the box is so is so clever and so quick, and he's just that big physical presence. But I thought Newcastle handled him well. There was that great moment towards the end as well when uh, Dan Byrne and him went uh, went went sort of forehead to forehead for a little bit. That was kind of quite. <laughs> that was kind of quite good fun. Yeah, really enjoyed that moment where Lascelles almost American football blocked Harland off the ball yeah yeah where it looked as if he could have got onto it and he almost sort of drove him back like he was kind of plowing a field with him I'm not sure if there's too many other Newcastle defenders who kind of take that risk but it's just on the right line and I thought set a really good tone for the rest of the half that they weren't going to come here and be pushed around it was really nice actually Jamal Asel's family was um, was just behind us a couple of rows behind us in the safe safe standing section at the Etihad, it was great to see his family there. Yeah, I definitely wasn't going to be calling Jamal 
any any names whatever happened in the match because of that but uh, but it wasn't necessary i thought he came in came in and did very well and also on that same subject bruno's dad who of course has now become probably one of the most famous people on tyneside he seems to be absolutely everywhere he was there again doing loads of selfies and stuff like that but it's it's you know it's it's it is great to see that see the the families of players in the away ends, every every bit as part of it as fans, and um, you know that sense of everybody being in it together was uh, was lovely. And, and also as well, George, it, we have to remember just the strides that this club has taken this year. I know it's it's disappointing to lose again, and and, and Newcastle have slipped a little bit as as we've gone past Christmas. We have to remember the strides that the club's taken and and where we are now. And what did we all say at the start of the season? We would take tenth place and a run in the cup, and we've. We've had the run in the cup, for sure, and and we're looking good to be in the top ten at least. I mean, I can't complain too much. I know it's disappointing that things have slipped, but the, I still think we've taken massive leaps this year. It's been oh, it's been a great year so far. Completely, yeah. I mean, completely. I think there are a couple of things to say about that. Firstly, it's totally fine for people to get annoyed or upset or irritated during matches because that's the point. We get swept away with it, and if yeah. your team makes mistakes or doesn't play very well or you know whatever, lets in a goal. You get annoyed and irritated. That's part of it. I mean, I'm guilty, and guilty is probably the wrong word. I'm as, but I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone of sort of saying everything's great because you compare it to 15 months ago, and you know, so you know, the comparison is so extreme that you know it, things are just good. You know, you can't say that forever. I do, I do sort of understand that the contrast is so sort of is so amazing that. You know, we should look for context and we should always remember it. But at the same time, it's okay to get kind of get irritated during matches. I think the thing is, though, I mean, yeah, you look at the league table, it's still astonishing. What you don't want is for the season to sort of peter out now that the cup final's been and gone. You know, Newcastle have been so good for so long and they've been in the top four for so long that if they start to slide now, it will feel disappointing and will end the ceiling season feeling disappointed I think that's sort of natural so I hope they you know I hope they can sort of get a good result against Wolves and start turning it around and you know find a bit of that form that they had before the World Cup and um, you know keep keep it keep it going you know take a step back as you say Taylor take a step back if Newcastle finished this season ninth or eighth you would say that's been a phenomenal season but it won't feel like it because they had so much momentum at the start and where they've gone from yeah and carried it carried it through for so long you just want you know you just want want them to end with that same same feeling so I hope they do Absolutely. Chris, the ball just needs to go in the net, doesn't it? The ball has to go in the net soon. And I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, Chris, but how is the ball going to go in the net? <laughs> Got very John Anderson, haven't you? Um, well, Callum Wilson does not look like a man in any sort of form right now, which obviously he's been a huge source of goals for Newcastle for a long period of time. Miguel Almiron, his purple patch, which... Felt unsustainable, really, has dried up, and oh, nobody else has stepped into the breach because of them. Here's the Miggy. You're feeling pretty fucking smug now, aren't you, here's, Chris? Uh? Old Mr. Narrative. Yeah, yeah Mr. Here he is. Mr. Miggy Hater, he's back. He's back. Didn't take him long, did it? Wow. Sorry, Chris, you were saying? What I was going to say is nobody has stepped into the breach to take up the goal scoring that those two had been carrying on their shoulders for such a long period of time, and so Newcastle are underperforming their expected goals across the pitch. They're not scoring from set pieces, which they've hugely underperformed in compared to, I think they're miles ahead of everyone else in terms of expected goals from that. So all over the pitch, they can improve in that regard. 
Uh, longer term, I mean, you would just have to say they probably need even greater resources attacking-wise. There's still That's still the area where, although they've spent a lot of money, if £105 million between them on, well, £100-ish million pounds between them on Anthony Gordon and Alexander Isak, £25 million on Chris Wood, who's now left, it's still the area which hasn't been addressed as much defense as the defence since the takeover. So longer term, you'd say that. But over the course of the next few weeks, it feels like they just need something to go for them. That Their confidence is beginning to sap in front of goal. They need that opening, whether it's a penalty or whatever it is. And I think that if they score one in the next couple of weeks, I think that they are playing well enough to then not be able to pick up the momentum. If it continues up to the international break, I think that's when it becomes a real concern because then it, it I think it's psychologically really will start to affect them and may affect their all-round game as well. Jacob, what do you think about Colin Wilson? Is it a is it a, a confidence thing with him or is, is there something else underlying? I don't think he looks entirely fit, to be perfectly honest, when I've been watching him play. He's looking half a step short when he's kind of trying to get in behind defences, but then... A couple of weeks ago, I was kind of of the opinion he wasn't finding the chances. And the last week or two, that's not really been the case. He's getting there, especially against City. And, I mean, the fact the ball hit his studs rather than his laces, I mean, it's just almost like a bit of an overthinking kind of issue. It appears to me from the outside, not a professional sportsman. I mean, we know that he's not training, you know, on a daily basis in the way that he was before the World Cup. I mean, so he's 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 come back from the World Cup and he when you say he doesn't look fit, I think he doesn't look sharp. I mean, I think there's a, you know, I think there is that side of it. And I think, you know, it feels like he's going through one of those spells as a centre forward. He's overthinking. He's not getting into the positions naturally. He's not taking them naturally. And he looks a very different striker. I mean, it is, it's quite interesting though, because I think... Three three months ago, four months ago, and yes, I know he's had fitness issues, but you would think that when he was fit, he's just an automatic uh, place in that team, and he's been really, really good. He's been really good, and yes, there was Isak to come in to integrate into the squad, and then the other elements of the team sort of fit into place naturally, whereas now it feels a bit like we've gone back to the time when Newcastle was a bit of a puzzle that was difficult to to solve in terms of trying to find... The right, um, sorry, Chris gurgling very loudly on his water bottles really put me off there. Um, um, that's really put me off. Please don't ever make that noise again, George. No, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't enjoy that. <laughs> and it, yeah, so it feels a bit like that they're a, they're a problem that's that's not easily solved because Isak looked really good when he came on against City um, for moments, but he hasn't, I don't think, convinced when he started and he's not the same kind of striker who can hold the ball up in the same way that Wilson can and obviously St Maximam starts the cup final did some good things but then comes back out of the team and again isn't firing on all cylinders Almond's not playing well so all the certainties that we had a few months ago now all feel like uncertainties and as Chris says it feels like a position that's going to need um sort of looking at in the in in the summer and it might not have done in other circumstances. Right then, uh, time for a little break, but we'll be back soon to talk about the Northeast Football Riders Awards and that game against Wolves. But before that, go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod where you can pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay just £1.99 a month for your first year. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Right, chaps. Bruno Gimaraes was named Northeast Football Writers Player of the Year for 2022. Uh, let's hear from the man himself talking to the assembled press, including our very own Chris Woff. This means a lot for me. How I told, it's my first individual trophy here in England. I think it's amazing because the voters come by your journalists and the people that are working football for a long, long time. Uh, I'm very happy, very proud. I would like to say thanks for Eddie, for my teammates as well, because without them, this never will happen. And uh, of course, I'm very, very happy and proud to be here. If we see what we did last season, we were a team that was fighting for the relegation. And now we've got a final. Unfortunately, we didn't get it, but now we are fighting for the Champions League. What makes me happy is know that it's just the first year. This club mm-hmm. has the potential to be a giant in the world. And I'm happy and proud to be part of the revolution of the team, of the city, of everyone, because the, the city is about football mm-hmm. here. I can feel it since when I signed for the club. In the, this is so very special for me, you know. When I signed, I would like to put my name in the club story. I'm doing it, but of course to get my name there, I need to go, to win a, a title. I know what means a title for the club story. And the people growing up and they die and never seen Newcastle be champions. So my motivation here is, is win a title for the club. Claudio Casapa yeah. is a Brazilian. He was uh, working with, with me when I was playing in Lyon. Uh, he told me some things about the, the club, about the city. He, he told the support about the fans. He's the most f- craziest fans in the world. <laughs> and the, the atmosphere about St. James Park. And he, he told, I've played there before the new owners and the award was amazing. You can imagine now with the new owners, the, the new ambitions about the club. You can go there, you will take a big decision in your career. Uh, and I always have had a dream to play in the Premier League and I know about the new owners, the new players, the new manage uh, and I think I, I got the right decision to be here but what I knew is the, the, the about the fans when I spoke the first time with the, the new owners I was in the national team and I've, I've spoke with uh, Alisson Ederson, Gabriel Jesus and uh, they told me that it's an annoying place to play St. James Park <laughs> It's the most difficult place to play away. And the, yeah, was this, this, this thing that I got before signing for the club. Just, you've mentioned when you first came in your press conference, you said about the ambitions of the club. You said last year fighting relegation out of the position. Has, it, has the, like the, the improvement been quicker than you expected for the entire club to be in a final last weekend, to, to have been competing for the Champions League? Has it been quicker than you thought? Yeah, of course. It's, 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 I have been honest, this surprised me a little, but uh, I'm so happy. To, to be part of this, you know, and the, what made me happy is know that it's just the first year that I think the, this club will be every, every year in the Champions League in the, in the future. Can I just say, you, I mean, you've introduced Chris really ni- nicely there, Taylor, but um, one of my favourite moments from the um, Football Writers' Dinner, which I had attended with my brother again as a sort of treat for him, really, um, at very short notice, that on the stage, um, the compere Ian Dennis referred to him as Chris... Chris Wow. Chris Wow. Chris Wow. Yeah. So it was very 
I was very happy that Ian Dennis, who I respect a lot, had never heard of Chris. Oh, wow. And also, so, so, so obviously got his name wrong. Chris Wow. Is that Chris's superhero name? I think it is, Chris yeah. Wow. Chris Wow. Listen to him gurgle noisily. That's his superpower. How would you feel about that, Chris? You see, what George hasn't mentioned is that whereas he, his brother, Charlotte Robson, friend of the podcast from True Faith, were, were being hosted by Alan Shearer, uh, Alan from work, on his table, you know, front and centre, right next to the Newcastle United table, where there's Eddie Howe, there's all the coaching staff, uh, Bruno Gimaraish, his family. I'd been sent to Coventry, so to speak, and I was on the general reporter's table right at the far side. It was the Faroe Islands, Chris. It wasn't Coventry. It was yeah. You couldn't have got any further away. I mean, you were almost in Newcastle, and the dinner was being held in Durham. Is this retribution for all the trips you've sent George to the South Coast, by any chance? I, th- I think it might have been. But then also what happened was it was during the raffle where I won tickets to <laughs> Middlesbrough against Preston. Which... You lucky boy. <laughs> well, well a, a, I felt I couldn't accept because it was the Football Writers Association. I didn't think that I, as a football writer, should be able to accept them and be I wasn't going to go because I will be working anyway and I'm not going to so I, I walked up halfway and then I was like just put it back in to which I think was annoyed uh, both Ian Dennis uh, and Colin Young who were uh, organising <laughs> it and I probably annoyed everyone associated with Millsborough in the room so it, yeah, it wasn't my finest moment don't fancy that let's stick it back in have you not got anything better Chris wow <laughs> Chris wow Chris wow um, so there's been a lot of quotes this week hasn't there and a lot of stories going around in the news about Bruno Gimaraes and links potentially to uh, Real Madrid and various other moves away it doesn't appear to be anything to be worried about initially is there Chris uh, Chris Chris, Chris, Chris wow Chris wow Chris wow Chris wow there he is unbelievable Chris there doesn't seem to be anything to worry about immediately, Chris, but um, he will be a man in demand, won't he? Yeah, he is very much a man in demand. I mean, uh, you just have to see Pep Guardiola after the match on Saturday in his press conference. I mean, he was very complimentary about Newcastle in general, a lot of their players, but particularly about Bruno Gimaraes, who he'd singled out. I think he'd taken to one side and praised him anyway, but he referred to him as an exceptional top-class holding midfielder. And you can see he's a very, very, he would be a very, very Pep Guardiola-style player. But Real Madrid, we know our admirers of him. Other clubs around Europe are, and the the level that he plays at consistently just just means that there will be that interest. And I mean, Newcastle want to time down longer term, want to improve his his, his terms, but that hasn't yet that 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 hasn't yet reached a positive conclusion as far as we are aware. But Bruno was asked by us after uh, before the dinner, sorry, what, how he felt about uh, his time at Newcastle and he and his future. And he basically said that he came to Newcastle, he, he described it as he wants to write his name into Newcastle United's story. And to do that, he knows he has to win. He calls titles, but he means trophies in general. And he thinks Newcastle will be a giant in world football. So the strong suggestion from him was that I don't want to go anywhere, certainly not before we do actually win something. We've got to the Carabao Cup final, we didn't actually win it, so now we've got to move on. So that's what that's what he says. I'm sure the lure of Real Madrid, particularly for a South American footballer, would be huge, and if that did materialise in the summer, I'm sure there would be a conversation on that regarding whose head wouldn't be turned in that sense. But Bruno is committed. He's not actively pushing to go elsewhere, and Newcastle certainly want to keep hold of him because he's the person who they need to build their team around to really progress. That was the thing I wanted to add and and Chris has sort of done that that you know they do view him as a player to build the team around at some point they have to sell players and recycle players and so what happens in the summer will be interesting to see you know with the likes of Alan San Maxima for example you know how do they go about adding to their budget 
when they're you know when they have FFP concerns, they do see Bruno as a sort of absolute linchpin of the side. But yeah, it's you know it's fascinating to see what happens. Um, if Real Madrid, for example, come in with eighty million quid, what do they do? How does the player respond? How does the club respond? You know, it's a very interesting bit of the cycle, particularly if they don't finish in the top four and a Champions League club comes calling. You know, how do they handle that? The lovely thing about Bruno, we've seen over the past few weeks, uh, uh, you know, him getting very emotional uh, when he got sent off at the cup final again. You know, he is feeling the club. He has developed a relationship with fans which is genuine. You know, it's not he's not doing it for show. He absolutely feels it. He's been made to feel like home. But um it's it's like with anything, when you when you actually start being good and start sounding good players, you've got to match you know, you've got to match their their ambition. Newcastle have all the ambition, but they're not quite at the point where they're winning, you know, winning things as we've seen. So, yeah, what happens next is, is fascinating. Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about Pep Guardiola having a little chat with him either, chaps, because the last time he did that, it was Nathan Redmond. I don't know if anyone remembers that <laughs> incident where Pep put his arm around Nathan Redmond, had a very intense conversation into his ear, where I think all Nathan Redmond wanted to do was get off the pitch as quick as possible. Anyway, yeah. Uh, A few days earlier, Amanda Staveley spoke publicly at the Financial Times Business Conference and confirmed Amazon documentary crew has been working behind the scenes. Chris, any information on this? Well, Staveley basically revealed it herself. I mean, we knew that this this was in the the workings. George had mentioned it. uh, I think it was in the post-transfer window piece just after the January window. And she, yeah, she was asked about it. She was on a panel. She was asked about it. I think the crew were there filming her. And she confirmed that that there will be this documentary series. She she went further and said it's not like the all or nothing series that have there been there previously. The ones that have been at like Man City, Spurs, and Arsenal. This is uh, a different one, which is going to follow more to do with the basically the commercial side of the club and the owners. And although the 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 players and and Eddie Howe will be involved to a certain degree, Eddie Howe himself to be convinced. To, to allow the cameras into the training ground elsewhere, I think he didn't want the inner sanctum, so to speak, of the club to be uh, to be infiltrated by the cameras. So it's sort of a slightly different uh, approach to, to this documentary, which is in the pipeline. But yeah, she has confirmed that before Newcastle United themselves have. She has confirmed that publicly. So George, you had a bit of a nod about this, did you? You knew about this well ahead. I mean, I think I also talked about it in the piece that we did around the one-year anniversary of the takeover. So they were they were talking about it then. They were talking to various companies then. It's a way of bringing in revenue. So I think that's the first thing, and and you know, quite big money, but also about telling telling their story on a worldwide stage, which is obviously important if you want to grow the club. Uh, yeah, Amanda Staveley will be sort of front and center of it. Still, relatively rare that there's a that there's a woman. Um, in charge of a club or right at the top of a club so they're fascinated by by that and obviously her relationship with Newcastle too so yeah I'd I'd uh, I'd actually saw her in the in the boardroom before a match recently I can't remember which one it was and I'd, I'd gone up to say hello for some reason and she was mic'd up for it so it'll be interesting viewing I'm sure so, George, can you confirm or deny whether you're having a starring role in this documentary? Are you going to be involved in any way, shape, or form? Neither front nor centre? Uh, if I am in it, it definitely isn't front nor centre. Have I been in it? Oh! Okay, yeah, so for the Bobby 90 thing, we went in to uh, we went into the stadium. So, Ollie, our producer, and uh, Sam, our designer, we went into 
St James's the night before the Liverpool game to see you know the the big Bobby ninety banner being uh, made and uh, oh god yeah we we got into the stadium and it was um, they put it up for us already we weren't expecting that we were expecting to help but it was they did a dry run of the stadium thing and of course I was just standing by the touchline crying my eyes out. Of course you were. So, well, yes, I don't know whether... It was very dark, so I don't know whether they saw that. And then I did a little speech. Um, we went round and chatted to everybody, and Bobby's Bobby's family were there too, and I did a speech, which was very tearful. I think they did film some of that, but with a bit of luck, it would be way too way too dark to use that because that would be awful. Well, I'll have to check your IMDB page on, on the internet to see if you've got a credit. Yeah, you know, did a did a bit of amateur acting as a, as a, as a youngster. It's probably the next... Yeah, I wonder who would play me in a film of my own life. Um, who's who's young and handsome and um, I'm trying to think of the word articulate. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Which actor would play me, Chris? Who do you think would play me? Brian Cox. If <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> for you, that's not actually a bad line for you, Chris. I have to give you that, Chris. Wow. Chris, wow. Another bad line from you. <laughs> Let's move on. Um, Jacob, Amnesty International have called on the Premier League to review Newcastle's ownership links again this week after Yasser al Ramayan and Live Golf tried to claim sovereign immunity in a current ongoing court case. Uh, can you explain what's going on here, Jacob? It's been on everybody's lips this week, this one. I'll do my best. It's quite the tonal shift I've just had to deal with uh, from... Uh, That's it. You've got to roll with the punches, my friend. Concert. Not the most natural I'll thing, that, was it? Yeah. No, but tough. That's what we got. So it all stems to a case which is currently going on with Live Golf in which PIF and Yassir and Ramayan have been asked to testify. They've claimed that uh, PIF lawyers have claimed that due to sovereign immunity that they don't have to give any evidence in this, saying that both of them are part of the government. The issue there, or how it's been seen this week, is that uh, the Premier League have said they've had assurances that Newcastle will not be run by the Saudi government. Um, and yet here it is seemingly with PAF's lawyers saying, actually, we are part of government. And Amnesty Internationals have said that they've got in touch with the Premier League um, to say that basically everything should be reconsidered. If you don't mind me jumping in, I think there's um, there is something very important here. I mean, I know that you know the natural response is to get defensive or you know to roll your eyes and sort of say, well, this was all sorted out ages ago, and why are people jumping jumping in on it? But ultimately, I think it's important that we know who owns the football club and who's running the football club. I mean, we know that the people making the decisions on the ground, you know, we know who they are. They do it. It's not it's not a PIF-led club in that sense, um, albeit all major decisions will kind of go back there to be signed off and, and passed, whatever. But, you know, we do go back to the bit where the takeover, first of all, didn't happen. And there was a huge push from all of us, but from Newcastle fans, the word that was used over and over again was transparency. And we wanted to understand the process of why Newcastle's takeover had not gone not gone through. And for obvious reasons, when the takeover then does go through, we're a bit less bothered about transparency because it's happened. And so we're all excited and happy and all the rest of it. But, it, you know, that I, you know I, I felt and I said that at the time, I think transparency is is right it's right in football it's right in in every you know every every aspect of society really 
And we should we should know why the Premier League eventually took the decision that they did, and we should see more about their deliberations. We should know what sanctions they they could possibly put onto Newcastle. Um, you know that they've talked about at the time. You know, ultimately, you want to know who owns the club. I do think this is an important story. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. I'm not saying that to be argumentative or divisive or anything like that, but ultimately, I want to know who owns the football club and how they own it, and I think that's really important. And Chris, there has been a little bit pushback uh, from other teams in the Premier League relating to this as well, hasn't there? It'll be interesting to see what the feelings are from the other clubs in the league. Yeah, I mean, reportedly anyway, that that, that some clubs have raised it with the, the Premier League and are pushing to have it on at the next Premier League meeting agenda. I think that's at the end of this month. So I, I think that probably will become an agenda item and then it's it's sort of one to watch going forward. I agree with George. I do think that we, we require transparency within this. I mean, Eddie Howe, again, was asked about this on on Friday because it come back up again and I know people get annoyed because Eddie Howe gets asked about it and I do feel for Eddie Howe because what's he he's not the one who's, who's necessarily specifically involved in this but when people at the very top of the club aren't speaking about it then Eddie Howe's the one who's in front of the press every week and even he said I accept that that's where the questions are going to come from but I do think there needs to be clarification from above on all of this uh, whether it's to do with Newcastle themselves the Premier League a combination PIF a combination of all of them it has now become a muddled message as to what the actual separation is or what what the how they managed to pass the owners and directors test, how the, the takeover eventually managed to get passed. So we have to get further answers on that, which at the moment just simply aren't forthcoming. I suppose it's also back in the news because of a potential Manchester United takeover by Qatari owners. And I saw when we're covering this on social media this week, there's quite a lot of pushback saying, you know, why aren't, why haven't Amnesty made any statements on this why is it just Newcastle being targeted and I just wanted to take the opportunity to say that there has been interrogation into Manchester United's potential takeover by Qatari owners both from Amnesty and there's plenty of articles up on the Athletic about it so just kind of want to say that this isn't just something which is being has been discussed in relation to Newcastle over the last week or two. Yeah, there's always uh, plenty to read on The Athletic about all of these uh, subjects, so make sure you go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pick up that subscription for just £1.99 a month for your first year. We'll be back in just a moment to talk about that Wolves game. So, chaps, uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers on the horizon. They're an interesting opponent to be coming up against at this point in the season. They're quite unpredictable. So would any of you lads like to make a prediction? Jacob? So I actually covered a Wolves match earlier this season, and it was Wolves at home to Leicester. And this game was notable because Wolves had 21 shots and Leicester had four. And Leicester won 4-0, which was pretty unpredictable. And so I'd like to make the same prediction. Right. Because I'd also quite like to undo this alleged jinx. So, Well, I mean, there is the jinx in action as well. You go to cover Wolves, and the one game you go to cover Wolves, they lose 4-0, having only had four shots against them. So I did also watch Everton's only away win this season, in my defence. You're also unpredictable in that case. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, they've got a pretty bad away record this season. They've only won a couple of games, and I don't, you know, there's not many teams who've lost more than they have, um, but they've just beaten Tottenham, and so what are you laughing at? 
Uh, Ollie, our producer, just asked on the uh, on the, the schedule, did Jacob cover Liverpool versus Manchester United? <laughs> All right, okay, fair enough. <laughs> ah, Chris is determined to put me off with like noises, background noises. It's very um, so they have just beaten Tottenham, and yeah, that, uh, yeah, and I guess people will be looking at Newcastle now and sort of thinking that they can um, they can get something um, get something against them. I, I'm going to stick my neck out. I think this is the game where Newcastle get back to winning ways. I think they need to. But um, but I think they will. Yeah, we had uh, remember uh, Rutzler, the relegator, George. I do remember that. Yeah, I. Yeah, we've got Jacob the Jinx now, haven't we? So. Yeah, I mean George is still going through uh, the internal inquiries over that. I think there's some sort of yeah, uh, my anger, the bullying claim. Do you have to get HR involved? Yeah, I, I do sort of slightly regret that going quite so hard on why have we got this man on? He, he relegates teams. Whoever he touches gets relegated. <laughs> Rutzler relegated. <laughs> course now not anymore with high flying yeah. high flying Fulham yeah apologies Jacob you're definitely not a jinx 100% well let's just get that out there and on the table straight away it is not Jacob's fault is it uh well I think I would like to see more evidence I mean not of <laughs> not of defeats but yeah Let's move on quickly before you get called into another tribunal or HR meeting George. yeah okay yeah. Um, Chris Fabian Cher wasn't involved at City that has subsequently been found out. He had a slight concussion, and it kind of puts a, a bit of a spotlight on what happened at Wembley, doesn't he? You you mentioned last week you don't know how he managed to get back on the pitch after that incident. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised that he missed the game this weekend, but I was surprised that he stayed on. The, well, he came back onto the pitch at Wembley and then continued for the whole game when he looked to be in tears. Botman had to comfort him, and we went through it last week. And yeah, all rather puzzling. Newcastle kept describing it as a very mild concussion said he's following concussion protocols to the letter. The suggestion is that they think he will be all right by next weekend, but uh, he, ha- he does have a history of concussion as well. He has had issues previously. So, um, yes, I think this is why I think it shows how far behind football really is and temporary concussion substitutes certainly should come in. So I do think he, he could well be back next weekend, but it sounds on each castle are adamant they're taking all precautions and he would only be back if the doctor's given the okay to be. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a Newcastle game unless Fabian Shea has gone down with a head injury in the first 25 minutes or so, does it? That, that seems to be a, a kind of running theme for him. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, he, he was missed, I thought. It's, uh, yeah, we did we did miss him a bit. Uh, any other team news out there as well, Jacob? Obviously, Joel Linton's 10th yellow of the season uh, rules him out for two games. It uh, doesn't look like we're going to see Ryan Fraser anytime soon either. Is there anybody else we could be concerned about? Nobody else really to be concerned about in terms of injuries. Um, I suppose thinking about Wilson and Isaac, that you might expect Isaac to come in. Um, I actually thought one of the sort of main bits of optimism from the last couple of weeks has been a couple of pretty nice cameos from Joe Willock off the bench, actually yes. injecting a bit of energy. Absolutely. So the guess would be that he'd come in for Joe Linton um, in, the, in the left-sided number eight slot, and then you'd have either one of Sam Maximan or Gordon on the left. Um, so, so I guess the team there would be pretty clear but it's just I guess I suppose that whole left side actually is, is up for debate whether you go for Gordon or Sam Maximan whether Target may possibly come in for Burn or at least that's an option now that's where he's got decisions to make yeah the the, the, the Fraser thing is very interesting I was at um, I was at Bournemouth the other week when um, you know Eddie Howe got an absolutely incredible emotional uh, welcome welcome back by supporters and he was in tears afterwards Matt Ritchie warmed up and got a absolutely a great response I'm sure Callum Wilson would have done as well if he'd been fit but the contrast was um was Ryan Fraser who was absolutely uh, pilloried 
by Bournemouth fans throughout and, you know, a lot of abuse about the way that his time there had ended. And he's not been on the bench for Newcastle since then. It does feel like, I mean, and obviously Eddie Howe spoke at the end of the last week saying that he's training um, with the underage teams now and so, you know, he wants people who are committed to the club and all the rest of it. And that's quite a big statement to, to make. I mean, I know that he's not played... He's not played a huge number of games. I think he's only started three games this season. But, you know, perhaps at the start of the season or a bit early, you would be talking about him being a sort of good option to come on the bench or certainly somebody you would consider throwing. And at a time when Newcastle is struggling for goals and creativity, it's taking one option away. And I do think that's kind of quite interesting. Not, I'm not saying that he would suddenly be starting matches because he's he's obviously been out of favour for, for quite a while now. But it feels like quite a big statement from Howe and not one that he's had to make about other players um, so far because the players that were kept out of the main squad last season, um, you know, still trained with the first team and, uh, you know, were part of things. They might not have liked it, but there was no sort of sense of lack of commitment. So it feels like a, a relatively big deal to me, that. Yeah, it does. It's it's a strange one, that. And I, you won't ever, ever know the full story of what's gone on. Obviously, it's all behind closed doors. But Ryan Fraser, I thought, was going to be a, an important part of the team this, this year, Chris. And he's just seemingly disappeared now. And, and we probably won't see him in black and white again, will we? Doesn't seem like it at all. I mean, I am writing about this for, for Wednesday morning. And basically, it goes back to, to the, the summer when Ryan Fraser asked to leave and subsequently I think it's just the it, for whatever reason his minutes then dwindled when he didn't get to leave and he hasn't played on the right as much as he did last year when he was getting in the team McGarmron's come in and excelled and then his minutes have just almost completely dried up he hasn't featured since October so yeah I don't think we'll see him again just in terms of Isak potentially coming in this weekend at Wolves I will be interested to see if Howe makes that call because I understand why so many people are calling for it. I called for it at Wembley. I think it's very different in home matches against teams who are going to sit deep, though. Newcastle are going to have to play in a very different way, which probably doesn't suit the way that Alexander Isak would, whereas maybe he's at Man City away or at Wembley against Man United. He could have been played in behind. That's going to be a little bit more difficult uh, at home against Wolves. So it'll be a big decision to make that call. And Isak himself... Uh, may have to change the way he plays. We saw he struggled maybe early in the season against Bournemouth and a couple of other teams who did that. So it's not necessarily straightforward as one in, one out. I think Newcastle are going to have to change the way that they play if Isak comes in as well. Fair play, right then, chaps. It's been a difficult couple of weeks, hasn't it? Let's be honest. Formidable oppositions, nervy fans, goals against, feeling like body blows, goals for very much a rarity. The last few weeks haven't been all that fun football-wise. Wolves and Forest, though, represent an opportunity for us to bring back a bit of positivity, I have to say. So thanks very much, chaps, for your time. Let's round things off. George, thank you very much. You are very, very welcome indeed. Thank you, Christopher Woff. Chris Wow. Yeah, I don't even know what my name is right now, so... Chris Wow. And thanks, Jacob Whitehead, as well. Cheers, man. Thank you very much. No problem at all. And thank you to all you out there listening as well. Make sure you go to theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod and pick up a subscription to The Athletic and pay just £1.99 a month for your first year. That's theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle pod. Right, thanks for listening. We shall speak to you very soon. Take care out there and look after yourselves from everybody at Pod on the Time. Goodbye. Ooh, I sounded like a newsreader at the end of that. You did. That was quite good. It's been ITV News with me, Taylor Payne. Take care out there. Don't have a nightmare.
The Athletic.